I love the, the scripture that we heard this morning, uh, read by Stephen. It was something that actually as a church in Brazil, when we planted our church in Brazil many years ago, it was our missional statement. We used it, we incorporated it into that. Um, and uh, it was our prayer. It's, you know, we, we talked as a church in terms of you know, a church being wide and long and high and deep. And uh, we expounded our, our mission and our understanding of who God had called us to be in that community through those words. So this is a, this is a, a, a rich text and a, a, and a strong, a, a beautiful word. Um, but it, it, there's a problem in it. I mean, I think it, we start off with a problem because, you know, here we have about this, the fullness to know just how much uh, we are loved by Christ, how much we are loved by him. Um, and yet at times... Our circumstances and our situations really take us to a place that we wonder, Lord, are you even there at all? Do you see me? Do you hear me? Can you hear my prayers? Do you, do you really see what is going on here? I, I caught myself almost by surprise towards the end of last year. My daughter was buying a, a gift for her teacher at school. They do that in the younger years. And, um, and it was a, a little 2018 uh, ornament to hang onto the Christmas tree. And I turned and said to my wife as Louisa was picking this up, I said, I don't know if I would want to hang anything that reminds me of 2018 on our tree. And what surprised me was that it, it's not like it had been a terrible year. It wasn't, but there were, there were clearly a lot of good things that had happened and, I, and how much there are things that I give thanks to God for. But, but also it, it's been a tough, 2018 has been a tough year. And I think maybe there are, there are several of us that, that might be able to relate to that and say, yeah, it, it has been. I, uh, Ruth Graham's, uh, Ruth Graham, Billy Graham and Ruth Graham's daughter wrote a book called In, uh, In Every Pew Sits a Broken Heart. So I, I, I think it's fair to say that all of us go through hardships and difficult times where we may, in our weakness, wonder, Lord, are you, do you see me? Do you even care? You know, you, we, we start off, we move from 2018, and the beautiful thing about moving into 2019 is the New Year's resolutions, and there's that great now, fresh start, let this year be different. And then you start 2019, and surprisingly, some of those problems don't realize that the year has ended, and so that means that's the end of their role, but they've actually followed you into 2019. And then instead of things getting better, actually, they, you find that, oh, it's getting worse. And so, you know, at one point, I, I even mentioned to a friend, I'm crying, I said, I'm praying with a psalmist in Psalm 6, Lord, how long have mercy on me? Can you hear me? So I wonder if, I mean, if, if you, if not now, but if at some point you've ever felt those prayers and that pain, you know, there's a temptation at which point to, to, to look up and to look out and think, Lord, where are you? Where are you? So many of us, I think, have lived through or are living through disappointments or, or discouragements. And we wonder, Lord, are you listening? Are you, are you really there? Because at the moment I'm feeling pretty alone and, I, and I'm... I need you. So as we come to Ephesians 3 and, and Paul's context, uh, as, as he writes this letter, he's, he's in prison. He's in chains in Rome. And uh, he's writing to uh, the believers in Ephesus, and, and he's, not pray, he's not asking them, look, would you pray for my release, pray for my relief from this, or, or that I would be rescued from these circumstances. But his prayer is, don't be discouraged by the circumstances that I find myself in. Don't let, don't let the hardships that we're facing discourage you from the truth and the beauty of everything that God has done and everything that he calls you to. 
See, he's already prayed earlier in this letter that they might know God's imparably great power for them as believers. And Andy uh, shared that with us last week. And now he asks for divine power more directly that God may strengthen them inwardly through his spirit. And I want us to consider Paul's posture in prayer. It's one of, he, he kneels before the Father. There's one that this is a posture of keen humility. Now, the, the, a traditional or more familiar posture for prayer would have been standing. But in this point, Paul is praying, and it's this earnest desire, Lord, I recognize my need. I, am, I hunger for you. I need you. So I kneel before God, the Father. There's intimacy through, through whom we all get our name. And it's not just that, you know, we're named, but it's our identity, our person, our, who we are, who we've been made to be, who we represent. He kneels in keen humility, in intimacy with the Father, but also aware of the limitless opportunity, the riches of God's glory uh, from which he can answer his prayers. He prays to the Father who can do far more than we might ask or imagine, requesting that power through the Spirit, they may be strengthened in their inner being, that Christ himself would dwell in their hearts. And, and in, this under, in this word of the word heart, it is the center. It was understood in terms of the center of one's personality, your thoughts, your will, your emotions, whatever lies at the center of our being. May Christ dwell there that you would be rooted and grounded in love and comprehend Christ's love in all its dimensions and so be filled with the fullness of God. On Colossians, we read that divine fullness is perfectly found in Christ. Believers in Ephesus have already come to the fullness of life. They've been united with Christ through his death and his resurrection and his exaltation. And now they're called to walk in that newness of life. They are to become what they already are. But apart from this divine enabling, they will never become all that God has called them to be. You see, if the apostle had urged his readers not to be discouraged on account of his sufferings, in verse 13, then his prayer for them to be strengthened by God's power was in order to meet this need. May you know his power in your discouragement. We need God's mighty power if we, would, we are to grasp the dimensions of Christ's love. This is not a petition that they might love Christ more, however important that might be, but that they might understand Christ's love for them. And this understanding is more than an intellectual understanding attained uh, that, that can be purely attained through study. Paul wants them to be empowered so as to grasp the dimension of his loves through their own experience. You can know this. Paul's prayer is for us today, for all of us. And it's actually, it's my prayer for all of us as we go into this week of 24-7. Shayla shared at the beginning of the service this invitation, this hunger, God's hunger for us. But I believe that, that beyond praying this week for God, to meet, <clears throat> for God to meet the needs before us, my prayer and my confidence is that he will meet the needs within us. 
to know how great the love of Jesus, a love that surpasses all knowledge, and be filled with the fullness of God. So why is it that Paul prays this prayer for the believers in Ephesus? Because there is nothing more lethal than the love of God. Nothing more lethal to the flesh than the love of God. Nothing that brings us more quickly to our knees than his loving kindness. And from that place, he brings us to a place of repentance. Romans Romans 5 verse 8 reminds us that God demonstrates his love for us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What greater expression of love is there? than the cross of Jesus. And the experience of Alpha for millions of people around the world uh, is this experience of God's love. It's an experience so great that it reduces hardened men to tears. It melts the hardest of hearts. Christ's love brings freedom for the captives, binds up the brokenhearted, breaks chains of injustice that have been passed down from generation to generation to generation. His love restores sight to the blind. He clothes the naked. He feeds the hungry. He shelters the homeless. But this experience of knowing God's love is not just for beginners. Paul has said a lot through these first three chapters about his readers being in Christ. What's remarkable is that he assumes that they still do not adequately appreciate Christ's love for them. The reason being, we can never fully grasp the depths or comprehend the magnitude of Christ's love. No matter how much we know the love of Christ, how fully we enter into his love for us, there is always more for us to experience. And the implication of these verses is that unless that we can never be spiritually mature as we should, thank you, Paul. We can never be spiritually as spiritually mature as we should unless we are empowered by God to grasp the limitless dimension of Christ's love. I started off by talking about Paul's posture one of urgency, of humility, of desperation, of expectation. And I wonder, as we come into this week of prayer, what our posture is. And I wonder if you're really feeling, you know, you're really feeling it. You know, here's 24-7, an invitation into prayer. Hey, why don't you get up at 2 in the morning and come and pray? And maybe you're wondering, what? well, I'm not sure if I'm really feeling it. And actually... I don't know, what, I, what are my expectations? I think the Lord would ask, what are, what are your desires? What are the, the hurts that we carry? What are the fears that we live under? What are the discouragements that we, we've, we've, we're facing? Andy started us off this year talking about the roller coaster of life. And some of us might feel right now, we're barely hanging on. Uh, the guy who started 24-7 was a chap called Pete Gregg, still is. And um, he, uh, he wrote a book called God on Mute. And it's, a, it's an excellent book if, if any of you would want to read it. Uh, and in this book, he talks about at a time when God is really growing 
exponentially, this ministry. They, they started off a prayer room in a church, a bit like this, and they said, well, let's, maybe we could do it for a month. And if we do it for a week and everybody's praying, that would be amazing. And then other churches kind of got wind of it, and they said, oh, we'd, we'd like to try one of these. So it went, you know, from a month, they carried, they kept going. And then other churches said, oh, we'd like to do it. Other churches in the city, and then in other cities. And today, there are 24-7 prayer rooms that are going throughout the year all across the world. And he writes in this book, and he tells stories about it was this incredible time during which he would receive emails, flow of emails into his inbox to tell him of the amazing things that God was doing as people were meeting with him in prayer. Healing uh, testimonies, miraculous, divine uh, interventions, remarkable stuff. And he said, the hardest thing was, that wasn't what I was experiencing. He, and he, he describes some really painful um, struggles that he was going through in his own home, in his own family, as his wife uh, was sick, and they were praying uh, for her healing, and yet not hearing anything being asked, uh, not hearing God in any way. So in his book, he, he got on mute, he talks, he refers to this story, and it's a, it's a beautiful uh, illustration, so I want to share it with you. And it's uh, from C.S. Lewis's book, um, The Magician's Nephew, which many of us will have read from the Chronicles of Narnia. And it's the first of the book, and it's about a little boy called Diggory. And Diggory's mother is dying. And this is semi-autobiographical, actually, for C.S. Lewis, who also lost his mum uh, as a child. But he writes this. When he first meets Aslan, the great lion, he gathers his courage and asks, May I please, will you give me some magic fruit from this country to make my mother well? A heart-rending request, a prayer of desperation, and yet at the time... Aslan appears to ignore it completely. He writes, Lewis writes, he'd been desperately hoping that the lion would say yes. He'd been horribly afraid it might say no. But he was taken aback when it did neither. You see, when God is silent in response to our deepest and most desperate prayers, saying neither yes with a miracle or no with a clear sign that would at least let us know that he has heard us, it's natural for us to conclude that he doesn't care. And God's voice can so easily be drowned out by our own hurts and our own disappointments and our own grief. It's hard to pray when we're hurting. But I've seen even within my own family as, as when tragedy strikes that the answer is, but where else can I go? Where else do I go? But it's hard to pray when we're hurting, when our prayers appear to go unanswered. It's easy to think that God is not listening, that God doesn't care. Have I blown it with him? Is there some reason? Is there something that I, you know, I get the slot machine. I need to get the three fruits. Have I not quite got it right? Brennan Manning writes this about unanswered prayer. To be grateful for unanswered prayer. To give thanks in a state of interior desolation, to trust in the love of God in the face of marvels, cruel circumstances, obscenities, and commonplaces of life, is to whisper a doxology in the darkness. How do we do that? How do we, how do we get to that place where we can know, we can be reminded, Lord, you are there, you are good, you see me? Well, I, very quickly, I just, I'm going to throw out three things that we might try even this week during our time of prayer, three things that we might do uh, to help us in this place. The first is 
to recall the promises of Scripture. We're reminded in 2 Corinthians, we even sang it. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. There's a little um, book called Prayer Changes Everything, written by Benny Mostert. And, uh, and in it, he's got this just list of God's promises. Now, over 7,000. Someone's counted, right? Over 7,000 and something promises. I mean, we could take a promise every day. It would be over 20 years. We'd still be working through his promises. But I've printed out some copies, and, I, and I've put some in the prayer room. So that, that as you go in this week, as you take your time, that you might remind yourself of the promises. God promises, God keeps his promises. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Numbers 23. We read in 1 Peter, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. He promises to hear us. He promises to answer our prayer. Before they call, I will answer. While they're still speaking, I will hear. Isaiah 65. He promises us that nothing can separate us from his love. He promises that through the Son we can be saved. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn it, but to save the world through him. He promises us that we can be forgiven, that there is nothing that can set us apart from him. Because if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all righteousness. He promises to send his spirit upon us. If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much will your Father in heaven send the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He promises about his presence, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Matthew 28. He promises his power. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. And he promises to comfort us. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. We recall his promise, the promises of Scripture. We remember his goodness to us in the past. Some of you are in the habit of journaling. And praying and writing down, or you share, we share together as communities. At times, we need to be reminded of God's goodness by those around us. To speak truth into a situation as God's seen me, well, let, we, we've been here before. You've seen how God has broken through, and we can recount, take a moment in that place, in the, in the early hours through the dark night of the soul, to allow God's Spirit to remind you of the work that He has done, His faithfulness to you. Remember His goodness. Recall the promises of Scripture and receive his kindness. God extends his kindness to us. We see it through the body of Christ. As we love one another, as we care for one another, Jesus said, you're going to know, people will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. This is an opportunity that we have to bless to encourage when one part of the body is weak, when one part of the body is hurting, then the rest of the body gathers around and holds and, and, and prays where our brother or our sister is too weak to pray. That's what we talk about blessing. And we know that it, it, we, we're blessed as we seek to bless others. So if somebody wants to bless you, let them. Because they're going to get blessed. It's good for them. Let them do it. Don't deny them the blessing that the Lord has for them in doing 
in loving, in serving, in giving. We receive the kindness of his people as expressions of God's love for you. Have you ever thought, that's amazing that somebody's just done that. Why would they do that? They hardly know me. Why would they do that? And so it's, it's, God just put it on my heart to do it. It's God's love for you expressed through his people. And we receive the kindness of God by receiving the promise of the Father, his spirit. That was a beautiful testimony that uh, the guy shared at the beginning, a hard one. I mean, there's, there's a, there are a lot of hurts, I'm sure, in the wake of, of a life lived apart from God. But a heart convicted and a, and a heart transformed by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. This is not an optional extra. This is not something just for beginners, something that just happens at the beginning of our walk with Jesus. This is something that we need daily. To be able to live this out, to overcome our discouragements. We need the power of God at work within us. I want to take us back to Narnia. A little while later in the book, Diggory dares to ask Aslan again for help. <clears throat> he thought of his mother, and he thought of the great hopes he had. And how they were all dying away. And a lump came in his throat and tears in his eyes. And he blurted out, but please, please won't you, can't you give me something that will cure mother? And up till then, he'd been looking at the lion's great feet and the huge claws on them. And now in despair, he looked up at its face. And what he saw surprised him as much as anything in his whole life. For the tawny face was bent down near his own, and wonder of wonders, great shining tears stood in the lion's eyes. They were such big, bright tears compared with Diggory's own that for a moment he felt as if the lion must really be sorrier about his mother than he was himself. What had happened? See, Diggory's prayer had remained unanswered. Nothing had changed, and yet everything had changed in that moment. He knew that the great lion in whom he had laid all his hopes cared. Truly cared. Pete Gregg writes, the revelation of God's love, the tears in his eyes may not solve any of our intellectual questions about why he leaves particular prayers unanswered, but it does touch an emotional need within us, the need to know that what we are going through and what we are feeling matters, that our requests have been heard, and that the one in whom we place our hope is near, and he truly cares. I don't know how 2018 ended for you. I don't know how 2019 has begun. But many of us this morning may be meeting with God through a veil of tears. And my prayer along with Paul's is that we might all be strengthened with power through the Spirit to lift our gaze and see ourselves reflected 
in the tears of the one to whom we pray, the one who truly cares. Under the words of Eugene Peterson, with both feet planted firmly on love, we'll be able to take in with all followers of Jesus the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love, to reach out and experience the breadth, to test its length, to plumb the depths, to rise to the heights and live full lives, full in the fullness of God. Amen. I'm going to invite the band um, to come up.